0: Praise our Father, praise our Son. Praise the Father. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise for.
1: text today comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. If you're using a shed Bible, it's on page 1062 and 1063. I'm gonna read four verses of chapter 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Praise the Father. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit.
1: So church, we're continuing in our We Believe series this morning, walking through the Apostles Creed, what it is and why it matters. And today's original plan was to have my friend and our sister, Tara Beth Leach, here with us. Tara Beth joined us once before back in April, but this past week I received news from her that Tara Beth's father went home to be with the Lord after a courageous battle with cancer. So, if you're watching, we're praying Christ's peace and comfort over you and your family as you grieve this loss. In Mars Hill, if you're connected to her on social media, I know she would look forward to a word of condolence from you or you can send a note into info@marshill.org and I'll get those notes to her personally. Last week we talked about Jesus's descent to the dead. And we asked this question, what were the things or the places in our lives that deep down we felt were out of reach for Jesus? We said if we were going to tell the whole story of the good news of Jesus Christ, we needed to name those places and be reminded that Jesus was willing to go to the place of the dead, the seemingly off-limits, out-of-reach place, breaching the power of the gates of death and overwhelming it with his very life. So if he could go there, then there's absolutely no place Jesus isn't willing to go out of love for us. This week, we get to the middle of the creed. If you imagine what lies on either side of the resurrection, this is, as Justo Gonzalez mentions, the center of the mystery of our faith. And the question for today becomes not where we feel is out of reach for Jesus, but where do we feel in our lives, in our communities, or in the world are too dead to live again? The places that are so dead, long forgotten, or rotten to the core that Jesus couldn't possibly or wouldn't bring them back to life. So this morning, though the original plan was disrupted, God saw fit for that disruption to give way to an exciting invitation. And today that invitation is for us, Mars Hill, to bear witness as one of our very own siblings, Bennett Samuel, gives testimony to the significance of Christ's resurrection in his own life. If you don't know Bennett, he and his wife, Carolyn, have been part of the Mars Hill community since 2012. They have two boys, Arthur and Jonathan. He's a senior clinical research specialist at Medtronic, and he works on, let me take a deep breath, Post-approval clinical surveillance of neurovascular medical devices. (laughs) Translation, he's real smart, and he cares a lot about people. (laughs) But maybe more importantly from my perspective and getting to work closely with Bennett and to get to do a little bit of life with him and Carolyn as well, is that Bennett is a Psalm 119.11 disciple. He hides the word of God in his heart, and he lives from that foundation. Bennett will tell you more about his upbringing and his background as he brings a word for us today. But before we welcome him up, as we have in the weeks past, if you are willing and able, would you stand and recite the creed up to where we're landing this morning? Would you join me now? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. And on the third day, he rose again. You may take your seats, and at the same time, would you welcome our brother, Bennett Samuel.
2: Thank you, Ashley, my dear sister, for the hope of Jesus' resurrection shines through you and may he continue to use you to illuminate the world with God's light as you choose to walk with him. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you and for the edification of God's people, amen. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, thank you for that warm welcome. It has truly been my joy and honor to serve as an elder here at Mars Hill Bible Church over the past three years. And I'm humbled today for this opportunity to share my reflections on the resurrection with you, which kind of came together at around 11 p.m. on Thursday night. So you get to hear from a nurse today. On the third day he rose again. Shall we practice that together? Here we go. On the third day he rose again. In some versions of the Apostles' Creed, to emphasize this point and perhaps to elaborate it further if it was not already abundantly clear, the phrase from the dead is added on. And so it reads, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. As a nurse, I've had several opportunities to walk with families as their loved one took their last breath. A surreal experience when I put my stethoscope on the chest and hear nothing. There's a level of finality when we share with our families that their loved one that once was is no more. Just like the, the centurion's pronouncement at the cross of Calvary that truly this man was God's son, a confession that is in the past tense so we too feel that finality. And perhaps because I'm a nurse, I've myself asked the same questions as the church in Corinth. How are the dead raised? What, with what kind of body will they come? What's happening at a molecular level? What's happening at a cellular level? Do the mitochondria kick-start again? And what's happening to the ribosomes? I have lots and lots of anatomy and physiological questions, but with no great scientific answers. What I can say with some level of certainty from my experience, as well as clinical research, is that no amount of resuscitation that a CPR would have worked if someone had tried it. Because even pausing resuscitation for more than 10 seconds, such as when switching between rescuers, can have detrimental effects and we're talking about three days, Jesus is really dead. But, but the message of the gospel, the message of the Bible is that death is not the end. Death does not defeat God's promise to sanctify us and to unite us to God. In Jesus, God dwelt among us from birth to death, and on the third day, he rose again. The resurrection of Jesus is not a resurrection of one who had died, who had lived, died, and lived again. Let me explain here. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus was still to die. Just like the several patients that my colleagues and I were able to resuscitate, some of whom have and others who are still to die. The resurrection of Jesus is thus not a resuscitation of a corpse. Jesus is raised from the dead to be freed from death itself, hallelujah. Jesus will never die again. Jesus has been raised from the dead, defeating death itself. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to instruct the church in Corinth in his letter. That is to see every aspect of life through the lens of the gospel. To look at every aspect of life, relationships, family, community, work, through the lens of the gospel, because the resurrection of Jesus is real. The resurrection of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit is real and manifests in those who live as witnesses to the world God has changed. As my favorite theologian Stanley Hauerweiss writes in his reflections on the Gospel of Matthew, the resurrection is the miracle of miracles, and miracles are unbelievable. Of course, the resurrection is the miracle of miracles, not because it defies belief. The resurrection is the miracle of miracles, because it is the resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. The problem, after all, is not belief in the resurrection, but whether we live lives that would make no sense if, in fact, Jesus had not been raised from the dead. And so Paul painstakingly writes to explain this to the church in Corinth. I'm going to read this here as translated by Reverend Eugene Peterson. Friends, let me go over the message with you one final time. This message that I proclaimed to you and that you made your own. This message on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy. That you're in this for good and holding fast. The first thing I did was place before you what you placed what was placed so emphatically before me that the Messiah died for our sins exactly as scripture tells it that he was buried that he was raised from the dead on the third day again exactly as scripture says And so Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians 15 that because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, we will one day be raised up too. Our bodies will be raised from the dead. And so what we do with our body matters. So how are we as Christians to live as a resurrection people, a Jesus people for the sake of the world? especially in this time and space that has been filled with division and sickness and isolation and death, so that we often feel in our lives, communities or in the world is too dead to live again. And as Harawa suggests, to be a Christian does not mean that we are to change the world, but rather we must live as witnesses to the world that God has changed. We should not be surprised, therefore, if the way we live makes the change visible. Does that sound familiar? Living out the way of Jesus in missional communities, announcing the arrival of his kingdom, working for measurable change among the oppressed. So now I'd like to switch gears a little bit and share with you the story of a man in India who lived this way. This man was transformed by the power of the resurrection of Jesus as a young adult. His forefathers had come to receive the gospel through Thomas, the disciple of Jesus, who came to South India in 52 AD. In 1986, this man and his wife received a call to a Christian mission school for the visually impaired in North India, in a location where only 2% of the population claimed to be Christian. He was called to Sharp Memorial School for the Blind, established in 1887 by British missionaries. And it was on the verge of closing down due to lack of working capital. It was definitely not the salary of $50 a month in 1986 dollars that attracted him to the position. It was truly a calling, as we will see. So on the eve of India's Republic Day in his first year, A realization dawned on him that there was not enough money to buy laddus. These are the customary Indian sweets that need to be offered to students to celebrate the occasion. With only $158 in the school's bank account, laddus were the last priority. But he was a man of prayer and so he prayed, Lord, you know our needs. The next morning, shortly after the flag hoisting ceremony, a little boy brought two full bags of laddus and gave it to him. But when he turned around after placing the laddus on a nearby table, the boy had disappeared. And to this day, no one knows who sent those laddus, but this only encouraged him to pray more boldly. A few years into his work, it became obvious that the administrative building which used to be an inn that the British used to rest up before they made the long, arduous journey up to the mountains, the Himalayas, to cool off in the summers, was crumbling. And so he wrote to numerous funding agencies. Many never responded. And some wrote back and said, sorry, we cannot help you. But he kept praying, and soon after, the building collapsed. And so the very next morning as he was taking pictures of the building so that he could send these now as proof that help was really needed, the postman came to deliver the mail. And in it, in an envelope, was a check with the exact amount of money to start the repairs with a note that said, this is towards your building. That only encouraged him to pray more boldly and wait on God's timing. In like manner, many a building was renovated or newly erected for the expanding needs of the school. One such building housed the low-roofed classrooms for the students. This building in its previous life was a stable for horses that had undergone some makeshift modifications, but was now musty, dark, and in extremely poor condition such that when the construction team were demolishing the building, they found poisonous snakes in between the bricks where the mortar had eroded. After months of praying, after months of petitions, generous donors supported a state-of-the-art education center for the students, which now stands as a testament for God's provision. Although he was not a qualified teacher when he first began in 1986, with just 18 students on the campus, he championed a vision for robust education, especially for girls who even to this day have to fight against disadvantage, discrimination, and inequality. He personally set about learning Braille to understand the instructional needs of the students. And despite facing corruption, and government officials openly asking for bribes, he stood with integrity, which did mean several extra meetings to convince them to accredit the school and for any other official business afterwards. He forged partnerships with local schools and colleges to formalize integrated education for primary school and then he kept on going and worked on expanding the school from grade five to 12, followed by undergraduate college programs, which empowered several hundred students over the years. It is far from easy a job to run an institution that primarily depends on charitable contributions. Oftentimes, the blind are victims of their own families who have been too ashamed to be associated with their visually impaired children often abandoning them at the school, and not supporting or being in touch with them. For such labor, one needs compassion, courage, a servant heart, and a willingness to dedicate all hours to the students and the school. Unarguably, he clearly possessed all these attributes. His compassion was on display especially during those nights when he personally carried and rushed children to the hospital. His servant heart was a parent when many a time he was called on to clean and fix the clogged toilet. No job was too menial for him. The students, 95% of them from Hindu families, noticed that they were being cared for like his own children, like they had never been cared for in their own homes. They wanted to know why. And through years of, lovely, of him lovingly sharing the gospel of, with him, Many came to know the hope of Jesus' resurrection. And then wherever they went and to all the places where the students and um, alumni were called to live, work and serve, even when rejected and disowned by their own families for following Jesus, they always began their testimony by saying, I am blind, but I have seen Jesus with my own eyes. Would you like to see him too? Against all odds, major and minor hurdles, corruption and persecution, and without receiving accolades or thank yous, he persevered. Once when a custodian refused to empty the trash cans around the school because she was from a higher caste, he began emptying the trash cans. And immediately the custodian said, if you can do it, I can do it. Thus impacting even the unshakable practice of the caste system in India. The custodian who was from a Hindu background wanted the same transformation that this man had and with discipleship found Jesus. So these are just a few examples of God's faithfulness in this man's life. He lived his whole life with this one principle. Be encouraged. You don't need influence or recognition for your work to matter. You just need the hope of Jesus' resurrection. This man chose to live his life as a witness to the world God has changed, and thus transformed countless lives across the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. This man was my dad, Philip Matthew Samuel, who I lost to COVID-19 on May 9. By nature, we're all on the way from birth to death, but by grace, we're traveling in the opposite direction. The Christian life is a mystery that moves from death to birth. At the beginning, we are baptized into Christ's death. And at the end, we're born into the life of the resurrection. We're born as though dying. We die as those who are being born. And so because of the hope of Jesus' resurrection with which my dad lived and his influence on my life, and because of the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in me, I've had the privilege to help children and adults with congenital heart disease and now adults with brain aneurysms. And I know that it is not my own doing, but Jesus' resurrection through the power of the Holy Spirit that brings healing to my patients. And it's because of Jesus' resurrection in you that brings life and meaning to my relationships, family, community, and work. So that even in this season of pandemic and loss, transition and change, I can boldly proclaim to you and encourage you to live your lives as witnesses to the world God has changed. So friends, hear these words from 1 Corinthians. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters of Mars Hill Bible Church, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord as children and students, husbands and wives, parents and teachers, nurses and doctors, engineers and carpenters, custodians and CEOs, counselors and pastors, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen.